Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I could sing another 10 verses to that last song if someone would write them. Nothing with the blood of Jesus. Last Lord's Day, He blessed us to see a great and glorious subject. I hope you all remember that the everlasting God the ruler of heaven and earth, beside whom there is no other, perfect in holiness, infinite in every attribute, looked down upon sinful mankind, and when he found that there was none righteous, no, not one, when there was none that understood, when there was none that sought after him, he chose us anyway in Christ Jesus our Lord and redeemed us that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we were sons, according to Christ's purchase, he sent his spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And he has yet reserved for us in heaven our eternal inheritance. However, we have our responsibility to live like sons of God while we're here in this world. And much of the Bible is written to that end of what we owe him for what he's done for us. And I have a very simple message for you this morning. Very simple. But it's one that we can live with and must live with every day of our lives in everything that we do. And it's found here in the 31st verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 tells us, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, Do all to the glory of God. That is how we're supposed to live. I want you to keep your finger there because we're going to come right back. But turn over to Colossians chapter 3 so that we can add a few more English words to that motto, that commandment, that description of the Christian life from Colossians chapter 3. I find it in this chapter twice. In verse 17 of Colossians 3, I read, And whatsoever, notice that word. It's a common word when it comes to this because it doesn't matter what you're talking about. All of life is to be lived this way. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then verse 23 And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now let's come back to 1 Corinthians 10. I wanted you to hear all three. Let's briefly look at the context of them and then let's apply them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we have a situation that was common in the early church as pagans were converted from idolatry to serve the living God. We read about the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where Paul said, the rest of the Christian world knows all about this church. How that, when I came and preached here in Thessalonica, you turn from your idols to serve the living God and to wait for His Son Jesus from heaven. That was the testimony they had. Well, when these pagans would convert from their idols, there was still a situation in those cities where when the general populace 
was still serving the idols, the meat that was offered, the meat that was available in marketplaces, or the meat that was eaten in temples, or the meat that was eaten at feasts of unbelievers, was meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And therefore, the Jews, which had abhorred the Gentile pagan deities and the pagan idols, had great difficulty eating that meat or seeing any other believers eating that meat. And so there was a conflict because the Gentiles could possibly, some of them, go ahead and eat that meat knowing that there was only one God. And some of the others would be offended when they would see a believer eating that meat knowing that it had been offered to an idol. So the apostle in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, three chapters of 1 Corinthians deals with that issue, explaining to them how we are to operate in matters of liberty. Liberty being, you can eat meat offered to an idol in certain circumstances, or you don't have to. It's your choice. It's your liberty. That's the general context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It begins in verse 14, in verse 14 runs all the way to the end of the chapter. But I just want to come back and get verse 25 through 28 for you to see the immediate context of our words And whatsoever, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, is our text in verse 31. In verse 25, the apostle said, Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, the marketplace, whatever you were to buy at the grocery store, though they didn't have them like we do, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. If you were to go to the marketplace and find some meat there, don't go asking a bunch of questions whether that meat had been offered to idols or not. Save your conscience. Save the conscience of anyone else listening. Buy your meat. Go home and eat it. That's liberty. That's a, that's a glorious liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you know what his explanation for that is? It's found in the 26th verse. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every animal of any type and any grain of any type and any wine of any type is the Lord's. Because the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness of the earth, that is all that grows in it, is the Lord's. And therefore, when you're looking at a meat selection, you don't need to ask if it was offered to an idol or not, because there's only one God. 1 Corinthians 8 says it very plainly, There be many gods in the minds and imaginations of men, but we know... There is only one, and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, buy it. Take it home and eat it, for it's the Lord's. There's only one God, and He created it. So enjoy it. Verse 27. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat asking no question for conscience sake. Here again, if your neighbors are having an ox roast in the subdivision in 1 Corinthians 10, 27, go to it. If you're disposed to go, you want to go, go to it. And when you get there, eat their roasted ox without asking for conscience sake whether it had been offered to an idol or not. Your conscience, their conscience, just leave those questions alone. Eat it. However, verse 28 tells us, But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not. For his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. 
And again, we have an explanation. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, do you know how glorious that is? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is His. Everything that's created is God's. Because of that, we can eat because all meat is His. In another case, we shouldn't eat because He's the only God and we want that testimony in the minds of everyone watching us. So in one place it was right to eat, in another place it's wrong to eat, and for the same reason. Because not only do we want to please God by eating the meat that He's created, but we want to be a living testimony to all men that the earth is the Lord's. And if a man were to make something a matter, an issue by saying, this meat's been offered to an idol, well, then I'm, not, I'm going to have a salad today. I'm going to have a salad because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if you are going to make any mention of an idol relative to this meat, I'm not going to touch it. And what is all that? How do we summarize all of that? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. That's the point. That's the context right there. So whether you're eating it or whether you're not eating it, you're doing it to the glory of God. Because the earth is his and the fullness thereof. Now let's come over to Colossians chapter 3. We don't have time this morning. I'm not teaching on matters of liberty. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 14 through 33 is a study in itself to look at all that is said there. And in chapters 8 and 6, there's lots of great lessons there. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. But we want to deal with the glory of God. Doing everything in life to the glory of God. Everything. Notice how many times we ran into the word whatsoever. Did we find it in all three places? Was it there in all three? It sure was. Whatsoever to the glory of God. Now in Colossians, we want to look at the immediate context because that's the first rule of Bible study is to look at the con- or the second rule of Bible study is to see its context as to how the Lord intended us to understand the verses. In verse 17, we have, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then verse 23, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men. Now, this is good. This is why we look at context. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, it was relative to matters of liberty. In a matter of liberty, we want to be able to eat meat, but we do it to God's glory because He created it. In a matter of liberty, if someone makes it an issue about an idol, we don't eat it because there's only one God in heaven and we want them to know that's what we believe. There's no matters of liberty here. Do you know what these two verses sandwich? All the practical duties of life. Look what is stuck between verses 17 and 23. Verse 18 is wives, verse 19 is husbands, verse 20 is children, verse 21 is fathers, and verse 22 is servants. Look at that. Five practical relationships that are the... You spend more time fulfilling those five relationships right there in those five verses than anything else. It's your life. And he sandwiches it with those verses 17 and 23 telling us that we are to do them heartily as to the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That is how we're to live. If I could exhort you this day to memorize these three verses, or one of them, and to choose to live by it, 
May God be praised for us to live our lives in this world in a way that glorifies Him. Brethren, He is worthy of all honor and glory. He will not give His glory to a graven image. He will not share His glory with man. I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the believers are supposed to look around and see that God has not chosen the rich of this world. He has not chosen the wise of this world. He hasn't chosen the noble. He's chosen the base and foolish things of this world to confound them that are mighty so that no one can say anything of themselves and no man can glory in himself. But as it is written, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the second half of the whole chapter is about that. God wants all the glory and he'll get all the glory. And he has all the glory because there is no difference between us and the rest of the world. In fact, in many ways, we're inferior. But God be praised according to the good pleasure of his will. He chose us in Christ so that he can get all the glory. He will not share his glory. And we want to give him that glory. Brethren, we sing a verse from the Bible, Revelation 4.11, that says, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Our purpose, like in the five relationships that are right here in Colossians 3, our purpose is the pleasure of God. And that should always be our theme from our hearts. The only reason we should be doing things, the primary reason, the fundamental reason, the base reason that we do things is the pleasure of God and His glory. And we must always be resurrecting that thought in our hearts and our minds to make sure that we're doing everything for that reason. We are not trying to be a good wife for the praise of our husband. We are not trying to be a good husband for the praise of our wives. We are not trying to be good fathers for the praise of our children. We're not trying to be good employees for a promotion on the job. We are trying to be good husbands, wives, fathers, and employees for the glory of God. And that, that is what should drive us and motivate us each day. And when we slip off of that, when we slip off of that, we are opening ourselves up. We're giving place to the devil and temptation because we're letting something else creep into our lives that is the motivating force in our life. We're making it a God. We're stealing glory from the Lord God himself. If you're giving glory to anything else, you're stealing from the Lord God and it's idolatry. And whenever we run into one of these relationships that isn't working very well, that's when we really need to be doing it to the glory of God. Because it's easy to keep on doing it. When you're doing it to the glory of God, rather than doing it for the praise of a boss who's become a froward master and who isn't being a very good employer. But if you're doing it for God's glory, he never varies, he never changes. He's always a good master. He's always faithful. He always keeps his promises. And there is a reward waiting for us that's far greater than anything anyone on earth could ever give us. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we, th- we judge this way. That because Christ died for us, then that means we were all dead. Therefore, we which live should henceforth not live unto ourselves, but unto him that loved us and died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Therefore, our duty in life is to live for Him. He should be the motivating force in our life for everything that we do. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Schoolwork. 
How do you do your schoolwork? Just because you want to get an A? Just because you want your teacher or your mother to approve of what you've done? Just because you want to pass that subject and get it over with so that you can go play? There should be one reason. One reason why you write a word on a line. One reason why you answer a question. It's for the glory of God. And that we should be so much more diligent, faithful, and focused when that's our goal. You know, it's whenever we slip off of that. If you slip off of God being the motivating force of doing a thing and let something else become the motivating force, it's easy to be lazy. Because there is no driving force like pleasing the Lord and His glory and honor for those that know Him. We're bought with a price, brethren. You know what he said because of that? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What's the intent of doing everything to the glory of God? Why should we do it that way? There's several intents that we can get from these three verses. First of all, God's made everything for his own glory. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Men don't like to hear that. Do you know why you were created? Your soul is a unique thing. Your body's not very unique. I mean, it's unique in its design, but, I mean, let's consider, I mean, animals have bodies that are very uniquely designed also. In fact, they can run faster, jump higher, and eat more, and press and move more, and carry heavier weights than men can. But look at your soul. It was created. It's a unique thing. You understand your existence. You can reason about it. You can reason about the universe, the questions of life. Why do I exist? What is my purpose? Why am I doing this? Where am I going? What's the end of all this? What consequences await me? What have I accomplished? What am I doing? Where am I? Who am I? You have a soul. You know why that soul was created? The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Right. Proverbs 16.4 So for the, the first reason we want to do everything to the glory of God, that's what we were created for, and we want to fulfill that role. We're going to fulfill it actively by choice, or we're going to fulfill it passively by His choice. Second, we want to show the world and confirm to all the world that there's truth in the universe and that the Lord is God and the fullness of the earth is His. So we can be a living example without even opening our mouths sometimes that there's a God in heaven and we're serving him. And that's the second reason why we want to do everything to the glory of God to testify the glory of God to all those around us that are watching us. We want to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ by living for him in the face of adversity. Jesus Christ gave us an example. He lived a life of adversity. He had enemies opposing him, threatening him, reviling him, cursing him, smiting him, ridiculing him, mocking him, stripping him naked, and finally crucifying him. And he did that for us for an example also. He, died, he did that to save us, but it was also an example of how we should live. That when we're facing affliction, when we're facing adversity, when things are difficult, we are able to do them anyway because we do it for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Amen. If you're worshiping Jesus Christ and everything's going well, you're making the money, you're in good health, good family, 
nice church to go to, live in a nice house, everything's just wonderful. What are you showing anyone? Do not even the pagans do likewise? But it's when adversity comes and something is difficult, then they want to see how we're going to live. Then our Christianity comes into play. But brethren, we got to be living all the time to the glory of God so that when adversity strikes, we're not even moved by it. We're to live our lives heartily. Colossians 3.23 told us, that is, from our heart, full of heartfelt religion, full of zeal, full of sincerity, full of a genuine desire to do, to, to do something from the heart, heartily, as to the Lord, not unto men. Our hearts should be driven for the Lord's sake, not for the sake of man. And oh, it is easy to get waylaid here. It's easy to be doing it for men. A wife can easily do something to please her husband, but the Lord needs to be first. And it is so simple. It is so helpful. A woman who has her eyes on the Lord, it doesn't matter how her husband's treating her. It doesn't matter if her husband loves her as much as he should. It doesn't matter about her husband because the Lord hasn't changed. She's doing it to the Lord. And a husband can do the same thing to his wife. It doesn't matter how much weight she's gained. It doesn't matter she's not as submissive as she should be. It doesn't matter because he's doing it to the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now I pity every man with an overweight husband, with an overweight wife, and I pity every woman with a husband that doesn't love her. But so what? That isn't the issue. The issue is if all wives would have heard what I said to wives and all husbands heard what I said to husbands, neither problem would exist in the church of Jesus Christ because you'd be doing it to the glory of God and it would get done. There's no spouse in here good enough to motivate the other party to do everything they should do. The only motivation we can get to get the job done is the Lord himself. And brethren, I want to tell you one other reason we want to do these things to the glory of God. It's how we lay hold on eternal life. Do you want to get your hands around eternal life? Every true child of God wants to know that they have eternal life. What was the whole book of 1 John written for? That ye might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing ye might know that ye have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 John knew that, so he wrote a whole epistle that we might know that we have eternal life. But in 1 Timothy 6.19, the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy and said, You tell the rich that they don't put trust in their uncertain riches, but they're willing to distribute their riches and give to others, and by so doing they can lay hold on eternal life. You can get your hands on eternal life by doing the basic, mundane, boring, everyday responsibilities to the glory of God. It's how you get your hand on eternal life. If you are exercising as a wife to please your husband, if you are washing dishes as a mother because they've got to be done, if you're going to work because you have to to pay the, to, to meet the family bills, we've got a problem. You're not laying hold on eternal life. And when a person comes and says, I don't have confidence of eternal life, usually... It is because they have slipped off of their focus. Because when you are doing it for the Lord's sake, the Lord will give you the assurance of eternal life. And according to the word of God, you're laying hold of it. 
But as we slip off, we don't have that. We know we're doing nothing for him. Because if he's second, it's nothing for him. He doesn't accept second. He must be first. We don't have meat offered to idols in our groceries. So we're not going to talk about that today, are we? But I want to tell you something. If we don't manifest the glory of God in our lives, we're no better than the sodomites in this country. Why do we have sodomy in America? Is it a mystery? It's not a mystery. It's a judgment of God. Romans chapter 1, very plainly. Sodomy is a judgment of God. It's a judgment of God upon men who from the natural creation can see that there's a God, and yet they will not be thankful nor give God the glory. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, very plainly. Sodomy is a judgment of God. It's not caused by your environment. It's not caused by an oppressive mother. It's not caused by playing with too many boys when you were a boy. It's not caught. It's a judgment of God. But brethren, we're not here this morning to look at them and point fingers. What we're here to do this morning is look into Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, and find that the word of God also speaks to us. For it says that sodomy is the judgment upon people who, when they see the glory of God, do not give it to them. And we've seen more glory than anyone's ever seen from the natural creation. Therefore, if we're not giving it to them in our lives, we're in the same boat. May the Lord have mercy on us. Look at Roman, look at Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 21. I want to remind you of something we've studied before in the past, and I want you to see it again. Proverbs chapter 21. Because now I want to apply this message. I want to apply doing everything, whether you're eating or drinking or whatsoever you're doing, doing it to the glory of God, doing it in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him, doing it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Everything. Everything. When you take out the trash, how do you take out the trash? How do you take out the trash? Are you resenting the person that made you take it out? Are you resenting the people that made so much trash? Now listen, I'm a father of a large family. That trash can fills up faster than any other house in this assembly. And I sometimes can be tempted that way. But what are we thinking? Or is, here's another way to glorify God. I want want someone to say to me, God doesn't care about trash. I will turn you to the Old Testament and show you that God expected Israelites to carry around a paddle with them at all times so that when they had to relieve themselves in the camp of Israel, they could dig dig a hole and bury it because God said, when I walk into the camp, I don't want to see an abominable thing. Do you believe that God's that specific? He is in the Word of God. When you're cleaning up something, you can do it to the glory of God. Trash. Easy. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 4. I've taught you this before. This is a, this is a deep thought. It's a pervasive thought. And high look and a proud heart is sin. Do you all believe that a high look, that is an arrogant, conceited look, is sin? Yes. The second sin mentioned there, do you believe that a proud heart is sin? Having a heart that's proud before the Lord, not willing to humble itself and submit to Scripture, is that a sin? That's easy to see. But what about that third one? The plowing of the wicked? You mean when a man plows his field, that's sin? 
Proverbs 21 and verse 4? Yes, it is. If you are doing something that is not done to the glory of God by faith in Jesus Christ, everything becomes sin. Because the Bible tells me whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The Bible tells me, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11.6 So I can come back with that new te- with those New Testament spectacles of Romans 14.23 and Hebrews 11.6 and I look at this verse and I understand it well. The plowing of the wicked is sin. I don't care how early this farmer got up. I don't care how diligent he is. I don't care that he plants at the right time and he measured the hair on the belly of the caterpillar just right. I don't care what he did with the farmer's almanac. I don't care that he weeds it, waters it, and does everything else he can to promote the growth of that crop. If he doesn't do it to the glory of God by faith, it is sin. And there is a huge difference. A man that's behind a plow going across the field thinking, man, I wonder if I can get a better increase this year, if I can get a better increase, if I can get a better yield this year per acre then I'm going to be able to make some more money and I'll be able to buy such and such. And when my neighbors see that, man, what will they think of me? You've never had any thoughts like that, have you? Ever. Never any thoughts like that? You're plowing across the field and you say, I can't stand this stupid job. It's so hot out here. The flies are buzzing around my face. I wish I had a different... Oh, ever had those thoughts like that? You look across the field, and he's got a better tractor than you've got, and all you can do is envy him for his stinking tractor. I work harder than he does. Who in the world gave him a better tractor? I work harder than he does. I was out here a half an hour earlier before he was, and I'll be here later than he is. What's he got a better tractor than me for, and you do it with envy? I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get more, I'm gonna get a higher yield than my neighbor. I heard that last year he only got 46 bushels an acre, and I'm gonna get 50 this year. I'm gonna get 50. I'm going to show him who's the best. Brethren, have you ever had any thoughts like that? Or am I, am I, am I the only man in the world that's a sinner? Is that how we all think? Amen. Do you know what happens when we think that way? The plowing of the wicked is sin. Plowing's about as innocent of an activity as I can think of. All you're looking at is the butt end of a mule. In the Bible, a donkey, an ass. Isn't that an innocent activity? But look what the Lord says it can turn into. It can turn into sin if we're not doing it to the glory of God. Do you know how you can do it to the glory of God? Thank you, God, for the strength to be out here. Thank you for that beautiful sun that's shining on me and clothing me with warmth. Thank you for that mule that is so strong in front of me that I've got to hold on for my ride. Thank you for that soil that he's turning over that is so damp down there and those earthworms are ventilating with holes. Thank you, Lord, for the rain you sent last night that waters that crops. Thank you, Lord, for that seed that has within it a germ with your explosive power that bursts through that soil and runs to eight feet in a couple of months. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that cloud that just passed over and gave me a moment's relief from the sun. Thank you, Lord, for the woman that's at home waiting for me. She's soft. I can't wait to get home to her. Thank you, Lord, for those children that are hopefully bailing hay. (laughs) Is there a difference? It's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Do you know how much Thanksgiving there can be plowing a field? You can do the same thing washing dishes. Thank you, God, that I have running water in this sink. Thank you, God, that I have a dishwasher. 
Thank you that it's working. Thank you that my husband fixed it. On and on we can go to the glory of God. This kitchen is going to be clean, Lord, for your sake. Not so that when somebody comes over, they think that I'm Susie Homemaker. Do you understand the difference? You can be slamming the weights, and instead of dreaming of going to the pool in a Speedo, you can be slamming the weights to be in the best physical condition you can be for the glory of God. And do you know what will happen? You won't be spending very long there when you're doing it for the glory of God because your mind will know that it's bodily exercise profiteth little. It'll save you, brethren. I want us to do it. I want to do it. I want to live this way. It's the Word of God to us today. How we're supposed to live. Let me give you some examples. What happens when we go into a restaurant and we make a choice before a meal? We have a guest, an unbelieving guest. You're having a business lunch. Do you pray or not to pray? Look at Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. What would a man do who, whatever he does, is whatsoever he does, is doing it to the glory of God? Is this even a choice? Is this even a debate? I wish I could go back, brethren. I wish I could go back to the days I was in the bank when I had one of these meals, at least one, almost every single day. And I argued with, I reasoned with myself in the most convoluted ways about not wanting to be a holier than thou Joe. I want to tell you something. I want to present the one that is holier than thou. I want to pray and show the one who is truly holy, and that's God himself. All these ungrateful pagans that are sitting around eating their food without being thankful to God for the prosperity that he's poured out in this nation, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And if by our prayer we shame them, then God be praised and glorified because they ought to be humbling themselves and giving glory to him. And because they haven't, we have sodomy in our country and other inconvenient things that Romans chapter 1 describes because not enough people are praying in public. Acts chapter 27 and verse 35. Acts 27, 35. I see the Apostle Paul in the middle of a ship. He's with Luke. There's two Christians and 274 pagan Romans. And they're on a ship in the middle of a storm. And do you know what the Apostle Paul does? Verse 35. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. This is not the ship of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was not having one of those Holy Land tours. This is the Apostle Paul with Luke and 274 Romans. And when it's time to eat, do you know what he does in front? Look what it says. I'm not reading anything into the passage. Look what it says. He took bread, gave thanks to God, and he called them all together. I want you to see this. Whether he did it verbally or they were all there, he broke bread, gave thanks to God in front of all of them, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. But that's the proper way to eat, giving thanks to God. Do you know what happens when you do that sometimes? Verse 36, then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. 
Brethren, there's a positive effect by giving the glory to God. Why do you think in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, when that unbeliever, when that unbeliever says this meat's offered to idol, you're not supposed to eat of it. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We can be constantly testifying to the fact that the earth is the Lord's, even eating in public. You say, well, I do it discreetly. I keep my eyes open and look at all my look at my family members, and I just move my mouth so it looks like I'm having a conversation, but I'm getting my prayer across to God. Why are you ashamed to bow your head and give glory to God? And I'm not, I know that most of you do that. I'm starting with an easy one. We'll get to ones that you won't like in just a second, for those of you that pray in public. We should want to bow our heads. Make it obvious. Those of us who own restaurants, I know when I look out across that restaurant and I see a, a couple come in, and bow their heads and pray before they eat. It blesses my heart. Amen. I've gone out many times and told them, I thank you for doing that in public and doing it visibly. What can I get you on me? Love to honor them for doing that. What do we do? It should be easy. I want you to look at the little book of Ruth. Look at the little book of Ruth. He said whatsoever. Did he really mean whatsoever? I think he did when he said it three times, don't you? Amen. Whatsoever ye do, do it to the Lord. Do it to His glory. We're looking for the little book of Ruth. I'm looking for it too. <laughs> Ruth chapter 2. How do you greet one another whenever you see each other in public? Hey, bro. How do you greet people to the glory of God? Hey, man, slap hands, rub flesh. What do you do? Look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Here's how godly men meet. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. That's how godly men meet each other in public. Amen. The Lord be with you. People want to complain about the these and the thous and the yous and the yees. In the King James Bible, it's because they don't want to be precise anymore. Were the, reaper, were the reapers singular or plural? Plural. There was a bunch of them. That's why he said, the Lord be with you. Because you in the King James Bible means plural. But thee is singular. You can't do that when you've got a Bible that just has yous, wherever you find that second person. Do you understand that difference? And so here we have Boaz speaking to a group of reapers. He says, the Lord be with you. And they answered him. There was only one of him. The Lord bless thee. There's the difference right there in a verse for you. The difference between the plural pronoun you and the singular pronoun thee. That's why we have these and thous and yous and yees. Now, back to the verse, though. How do we greet one another? Look at this. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless thee. How do you open your letters? How do you open your email? You know, we're all email addicts these days. How do we open email? How do we close email? What do we say? How are you? I am fine. <laughs> Ever done one that way? Or do we say something about the Lord? Right. Notice what this says. The Lord be with you. We're immediately calling on the glory of God for the benefit of the person that we're speaking to. The Lord bless thee. 
That should be part of our, part and parcel of our communication. We should be able to get in the telephone and say, the Lord be with you. Or when we hang, when we're ready to hang up, the Lord be magnified. You say that's getting trite. I wouldn't call Boaz very trite. And I wouldn't call his wife very trite either. And I wouldn't call their great grandson very trite, nor the great grandson that came from him, because they are the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are godly men. When you find an old, when you find a man like this that's beyond the normal age of marry, marrying, and a woman that's as beautiful and as righteous and as virtuous as Ruth comes into him in the middle of the threshing floor, pulls the blanket up and lays down at his feet, I say that man's doing something right in his life. And their offspring is, is David himself, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed. And notice how they greeted each other. The, the reason I went to this, I know it's obscure little verse, but it's in our Bibles. Right. Do you know why it's there? Because he wants you to believe him when he says whatsoever. Do you know you can do whatsoever to the glory of God? You can pray in public before your meal. That's a pretty small matter too. But you can do it to the glory of God. And you can greet one another to the glory of God. How about our public worship? Let's look at Second Samuel chapter 6. Do I even need to turn you there? I hope we all know this. 2 Samuel chapter 6. How do we worship to the glory of God? We do it with some zeal. How loud do you sing? If you're capable of 80 decibels, what do we hear here? 30? 70? Or 90? You say, well, if I'm capable of 80, how do I do 90? By the power of the Spirit of God. That's how. And by loving Him, He'll lift you up and be able to do it. We do it with our might. We do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Look what men can do for other men. Look what they'll do on an athletic field of endeavor for a coach. What will we do for the Lord Jesus Christ? I read about David in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. And I come over to verse 21, where David's rebuking his foolish wife, Michael. It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And that play there is to dance with all of his might. That's why I'll do it, because the Lord deserves it. And brethren, David was doing it because the Lord chose him over the house of Saul. But the Lord's chosen us to an eternal inheritance. Shouldn't we want to dance with all our might before the Lord? And in our worship, sing with all of our might to praise Him. The New Testament doesn't tell us to dance. So we sit, we stand, and we sing. Because the New Testament tells us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so we do it. But it tells us to make that melody from our heart. But we've read about our hearts this morning. They ought to be motivated by one desire. The glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. When visitors come into our assembly, I want them to hear a quantity of noise per capita that exceeds anything they've ever witnessed. Not for the glory of men, for the glory of God entirely. I'm sorry about the acoustical 
inferiority of this meeting room. This room was designed to dampen and crush sound so that you could have dividers in here and have multiple meetings going on at one time. But we still fill it sometimes, and it blesses my heart. And it should bless all of our hearts to feel and hear the zeal of other hearts around us that are wanting to give God the glory. Can you repent to the glory of God? I read a sad case this week in preparing for this message was in Joshua chapter 7 where Achan was discovered by casting Lot several times. They narrowed it down to his tribe. They narrowed it down to his father's name. Then they narrowed it down to his house. And they went to the house, they went to the tent of Achan and called him forth. And Joshua came to him and you know what he said to him? Give God the glory and tell us whether you've done this thing or not. Was Achan relieved of his responsibility for the 30 lives that were completely and told them where he had hit it? And brethren, when we sin and we confess it before God, whether it's private or public, I hope we go plainly and we own up to what we've done wrong and we unburden our souls and pour it out and say it. And give God the glory. I've played the fool. I've been wrong. I've sinned. And we can give God the glory, even in, isn't that wonderful? Amen. Even when you've sinned, you can give God the glory quickly by repenting and confessing of that boldly unto Him, in private or in public. And do you know if we had some more of that going on, it encourages all of our hearts and it gives God the glory. Brethren, we've got to do everything for the glory of God, even repenting of sins. Now let's go back to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. What are you going to be doing tomorrow? What are you going to do this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning? Can you do it to the glory of God? Can you do it in the name of Jesus Christ? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18 this time. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 puts it this way. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands in everything as unto the Lord. Titus chapter 2 says that if a woman does not obey her husband the way she should, she gives occasion for the doctrine of God to be blasphemed. That should be very plain. When a woman is not subservient, that's correct, submissive, reverencing and obeying her husband. She gives occasion for the doctrine of God to be blasphemed. If, however, she is faithful, submissive, reverential in her treatment of her husband, do you know what it does? It gives God the glory. Because do you know what? That's contrary to nature. I want to show you women something. Maybe you'll get excited, maybe you'll not. Verse 17 says, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Women, it says, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him, and the next words are, wives, submit. Can you submit in a thankful spirit? Not in a grudging spirit. Not in a complaining spirit. Not a, well, if I have to, I will. 
or he's been preaching so often on that, I guess I better, or my husband's going to yell at me if I don't, or anything like that, can you actually be thankful and submit? Is there, can it be done? It can be, by the grace of God. And it is to the praise and glory of his name. I want you to notice the context of these. He repeats this command twice, and look what he puts in the middle. Wives submit are the words following. Can you do it in word or deed, submitting to your husbands in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him? Can you be thankful for the husbands you have? Well, you're not married to my husband, someone will say. I don't need to be. If he's in this assembly, he's better than a whole lot of husbands in the history of this world. Maybe we need to take you out and let you, and stick you up with someone else for a while. Although we can't do that, you're an ungrateful person. You're murmuring and you're complaining about your husband. The Bible says to be thankful. And we do it to the glory of God and because of God and because of Jesus Christ and in his blessed name, he died for us. I want to ask you this. When Jesus Christ was on earth, how much tender affection did he receive on the cross of Calvary? Did he submit to the cross of Calvary because there was, he was treated so gently? Because he was loved so much? Or did he submit to the cross of Calvary because he saw the glory of God and he had chosen that he would always please his Father? And that's how women ought to obey their husbands and to reverence their husbands to the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God that he has saved you. He has an eternal inheritance for you and he has given you a good husband. There isn't any woman in here that doesn't have a good husband. When you don't do it, Why are the women of this country so insubordinate, rebellious, foolish, haughty, arrogant, insubmissive, unwilling to even have the words to obey him in their marriage vows anymore? Do all of you remember when Princess Diana, married to Prince Charles, pulled that out of her marriage covenant? I will not obey him. Well, the word of God says you will obey him. That's Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And that's what all Christian women ought to be taught. But when you don't do it, when we don't do it before the world, when the, this, this nation says it's a Christian nation, but when the wives don't submit to their husbands, it, call, it gives an occasion for the doctrine of God to be blasphemed. Christianity is a joke. Because even many pagans know what the Bible says about wives and husbands. They want to see if anyone's going to do it. And we should be doing it, brethren, to the glory of God, to the testimony of those around us, and laying hold on eternal life. You're a wife. You want to lay hold on eternal life? Do you want to know on that day that you're going to be judged righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ? And show us his work in your life by honoring your husband to the glory of God. Not for reward from your husband. Not for the church to think that you're a great wife. For the glory of God. You know, if he's your portion, like Brother Jim taught us this morning from Psalm 119, it's enough. If you don't even know what I'm talking about by doing things to the glory of God, then it's not enough. That means you need to humble yourselves and repent and make the Lord your portion. By throwing everything else out of your life and repudiating it. Do you know what Paul said? What did he consider? What was the lofty term that the apostle... Thank you, brother. 
What was the lofty four-letter word the Apostle Paul used in the King James Bible to describe everything else he'd ever accomplished in his life? Dung. We'd have a different word today, but it means the same thing. Dung. Why? Because he wanted to win Christ. His goal was one. His heart was single. He loved one thing, chose one thing, and pursued one thing, and it was the glory of God in everything he did. And I want to tell you how well was the Apostle Paul treated. He was abused and persecuted and tormented his entire life. He suffered hardship of nakedness and peril and fasting and without food, without water. In shipwrecks, he was beaten several times by whips. He was beaten several times by rods. He was stoned on an occasion. It has nothing to do with how you are treated by your spouse or anyone else. Is God your portion? We can do anything through Christ which strengtheneth us. He is the end of our actions and He is the strength for our actions. Colossians 3.22 We need to turn to the men for a second. It says in Colossians 3.22, Servants, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now that little clause right there is rather plain. It's telling us that we're going to have to work for pagans. In the most cases, we're going to work for pagans. Those are masters according to the flesh. But it tells us to obey them in all things. Not the things that we like, not the things we agree with, not the things that we think are a good idea, not the things that maybe were written up in our employment contract, but whatever he tells us to do. Obey in all things. Not with eye service as men pleasers. I want to stop here and, and maybe save you from a false understanding of the sense of this verse that I've had a long time ago in the past, and maybe you have. When it says not with eye service as men pleasers, it does not mean that you only work hard when the boss is around. It does not mean that. You know, even pagans, forget that. That is not what he's talking about. You know, there are people that will only work hard when the boss is around so that they can be seen. Now, that's a man-pleaser in some sense of the word, but it's not what Paul's talking about here, brethren. He's going to dig a whole lot deeper than that. I mean, to work hard when the boss isn't around, sure, there's diligent pagans that get that done. But no pagan has ever in the history of the universe worked the way that the Apostle Paul's driving at in this 22nd verse. Right. Not with eye service as men-pleasers. That is, you are not working to please men. You are not working to please your boss. You are not working to get a promotion. You are not working to get a raise. You are not working to earn the company's employee of the month. You are not working to park your car in the employee of the month parking spot. None of those reasons are even in your mind. You say, not even in my mind? That is correct, because the verse says, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. That means your heart has a single. Single means one. Everyone who's single knows what it means. It means there's one. One reason in your heart for what you're doing. It's to the Lord. That is set in distinction to being a man pleaser. If you are doing anything in school to please your teacher, to get good grades so that you can brag about your grades, Anything like that is wrong. It's sin. You say, if it's sin, then I give place to the devil sometimes. 
We all do, brethren. That's why I'm preaching this morning. So that we won't give place to the devil. We'll humble ourselves and throw out of our lives any false motive that we have ever had for doing anything and make the glory of God the single motive of our hearts. There is no job too hard on this earth that you can't do with, especially in this country. Listen, nobody in this assembly works that hard. That if we had the Lord as our motive, we could easily do it. He went to the cross for you. Notice that verse 22 doesn't even end with a period. It's got a colon there, and it's a semicolon, and it says in verse 23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, not unto men. And then it goes on, but we're going to come to that in just a second. That 22nd and 23rd verses are telling us we should not be working on the job for the praise of men in any way. We shouldn't be working on the job to make money. That is a byproduct of what we're doing. We have to work, and we do it to the glory of God. And the income's a byproduct. Whether you get a raise or not is a byproduct. Whether you get an award or not, it's a byproduct. God gets the glory, and we do it to Him. And a man that truly did it that way would, would be diligent. He would be faithful, whether the boss is there, whether the boss isn't there. He'd be on time. He'd be punctual. He'd be faithful. He wouldn't steal. He wouldn't waste any time. He wouldn't milk the clock. And we have much of, we have statements to that effect in other places in our Bibles. What about if your boss is a bum? First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. What if you have an obnoxious boss? He is not fair. He's not just. He doesn't keep his word. He expects too much. He doesn't praise. He criticizes. He's unfair in his treatment of you and the other employees. Practice it, brother. We all need to practice that. It's hard. It's very hard. But here's what the Bible has to say about it. God knew this would happen. 1 Peter 2.18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. That's obnoxious, perverse, irritating. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Brethren, those of you who have talked to me in private know how many times I appeal to these verses right here. When a wife says it's hard for me to submit because my husband isn't as loving as I wish he was, which is just one of the weakest excuses in the whole world, and it's because your eyes are off the Lord, there's a Bible verse for you. Do you want to earn the thanks and commendation of God as a wife? Do you want to earn the thanks and the commendation of God as an employee? It, you can, it can only occur when your boss is not good and gentle. If you have a good and gentle husband, you can never earn the praise of God like you can when he isn't good and gentle. Because it's in adversity that we show our faith, our strength, and our love of God. Because it says... If for conscience toward God you endure grief, suffering wrongfully, that's thankworthy. That deserves a commendation from the Lord. And this conscience toward God, I want to give God the glory. I don't care how my boss is treating me. I don't care how my spouse is treating me. I'm going to give God the glory by being a good employee or a good wife anyway. You know, we close up in just a couple minutes here. Close up. Walk out. 
Wives are still wives. Husbands are still husbands. Fathers are still fathers. We're going to be employees tomorrow, maybe this afternoon. In certain cases, I hope not very many. All these responsibilities come to play, praying in public, greeting one another, taking out the trash, doing the dishes, whatever it is. Are we going to do it to the glory of God or not? Adverse circumstances do nothing but give you a greater opportunity for the glory of God. They have nothing to do with lessening your need to give God the glory. They're an opportunity. Can you look at it that way? Whoever has looked at an obnoxious boss as an opportunity, except a Christian. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, verse 20 says, For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? Listen, if you're a bum on the job and you get rebuked and have, have warnings written and put in your personnel file, what glory is there in that? You're getting what you deserve. But if you're serving him faithfully and you're still criticized, persecuted, and run down and treated unfairly, look what the Bible says. When you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. You say, my husband's always picking on me. If you're guilty, you deserve it. If you're not guilty, you have an opportunity to praise God. You say, man, you'll almost make me thankful for my husband. That's what Colossians 3.17 was all about, wasn't it? Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You've almost made me thankful for my employer. You better be thankful for your employer. You better be thankful for all things. And do it in the name of Jesus Christ, to his honor and glory. You know, right here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we also have, in verses 11 down through 17, submitting ourselves to the ordinance civil authority. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. I want to tell you something. I hate the seatbelt law Amen. in my flesh. If I want to stick my face through my windshield, it ought to be my good pleasure and my right. In my flesh, I reason that way. It's my right. Listen, whether I wear a seatbelt or not does not have any effect on your safety or not. If I don't want to wear a seatbelt and I want to kiss my windshield at 70 miles an hour, that should be my privilege. I don't like people telling me i got to strap myself up in my cockpit. That's my flesh. And I don't reason that way anymore. I reasoned that way for a long time. I want to tell you something about the libertarian philosophy of government. It's wrong. Because God has expressed His mind on what are so-called victimless crimes. Do you know what it says right here? I just read it. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Why? Because it makes sense? For the Lord's sake, for the glory of God. I love to do my shoulder harness up now, especially when my kids say, especially my oldest daughter, when she happens to witness me putting my shoulder harness on and she says, I can't believe it. All <laughs> oh, glory to God, because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't do it. I just pick on one. That passage you can run down through with everything that the civil authorities say, and listen, they're coming down with more. And they'll reach a place where we're going to have to draw a line if they try to infringe on our worship of God. 
We're going to do it. For, we're going to disobey them for the Lord's sake. Just like in 1 Corinthians 10, you didn't eat for the Lord's sake. But they're coming down with rules and laws. And 1 Peter 2 and Romans chapter 13 tell us plainly what we ought to do as Christians. We've been taught in this in the past. But I want to tell you, I don't care where you turn tomorrow. Some of you that own your own businesses and all the permits, licenses, and fees you've got to pay in order to stay in business. All those of you who get paychecks and you look at that stub and you see what the government took out of your pay. Can you give thanks to God and the Father by Jesus Christ? Can you do that? It's onerous. The tax burden we bear for the foolish spending of a government, but I want to tell you something, we still have it better than any generation of any nation in the history of the world. Can you give thanks to God and the Father by Jesus Christ and do it to the glory of God and not complain? Every time you complain and an unbeliever, and a pagan hears it, they know that you're defying the government. And I'll tell you what the angels are thinking. You are out of turn, buddy. You have no idea or clue the decisions that are made in Washington that spend our money. And whether they make sense to us or not, the angels would tell you to shut up. That if you think you can sit back here in a back seat of a nation and tell them how they should be driving in the front seat, you don't understand authority. And the Bible says if you continue in speaking like that, you're nothing but a brute beast made to be taken out and destroyed. Right. The Lord's still merciful and he gives us, he's given us in this country great liberties. We have ways around things. We have ways to educate our children at home. We have ways to avoid the vaccination program they have in the public school system. There's ways we can avoid things and do it legally. There's ways that all my children could work for the last seven years. Legally. I thank God for all of that. Amen. There's still, there's, God has still preserved enough mercy in here for us to live and please Him. Brethren, there's more that I can say. Do you know what Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verses 6 through 8? This is how practical it gets. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Amen. Is that good? Amen. If we can learn this, brethren, if we can learn this, we won't have to unplug you. You'll unplug you. Because we can die unto the Lord. Right. If you didn't understand my analogy, all you got to do is disregard it, jury. We can die unto the Lord. Everything can be done to the glory of God. Death is simply our transfer, our trip, our journey, the conclusion of our journey into the presence of God. The most fearful thing that we can do, I guess, but it shouldn't be. And we do it unto the Lord, and we do it to the glory of God. Colossians 3, and we're done. Colossians chapter 3, I want to show you one verse that will finish this all up. Brethren, we live in a time, and for many of us, we came from Christian backgrounds where we were continually tormented with the fact that if we did not have a ministry, we were not serving God. Some of us went to the world's most unusual university in this city. And we were told that if we did not have a full-time Christian, uh, full-time, that, that's the ultimate. I mean, if you could be a full-time preacher, pastor, evangelist, missionary, song leader, whatever the positions they've created that aren't found in the New Testament, if you could be one of those and you're really, you're really serious about the Lord. That's what we were taught. We were continually made to feel guilty if we were getting a degree in finance or accounting. Is that not true? Because we weren't serving the Lord. 
In fact, we'd be called reprobates. Everyone at Bob Jones University who isn't a ministerial student, there's a nickname for them, reprobates. Now, isn't that fair? Because a man chooses to be an accountant, he's a reprobate? That isn't taught in the Bible anywhere. Do you know how we serve? And how we serve the Lord Christ? We're good wives. We're good husbands. We're good fathers. We're good servants. We're good citizens of our nation. We're good church members and doing it to the glory of God. Because Colossians 3.24 says, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. That last little part of verse 24, for ye serve the Lord Christ. For ye serve the Lord Christ. And notice he did not mention apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, helps, deacons, miracles, healings, gifts. There's nothing here except wives, husbands, fathers, employees, children. When you do those things to the glory of God, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. It is full-time Christian service because to be a good wife, a good father, a good mother, a good church member, a good citizen, a good employee, it is full-time Christian service. And if we're doing it to God's glory, it's all that we'll be able to do. For those that God has called to do something beyond that, he'll give them the grace to do that. And in 1 Peter 4.11, we're told to even use our gifts to the glory of God when he gives us those gifts. But until then, this is what he's called us to do. We close up. We go out of here. We're going to serve the Lord Christ. I hope that whatsoever you do, whether it be in word or deed, you'll do all to the glory of God.